Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume six, issue 271. And this is the first of two shows about the series of games known as Double Dragon. You can play along with us. The next few podcasts we have coming up in volume six are Tales of Vesperia. Then it's Robotron 2084. Following that, we start our Witcher series with the first game. Beautiful Joe after that, and then we return to the arcades once more with Irem's seminal and famous, iconic, some might say R-Type and R-Type 2. The entire schedule, up to and including issue 300, can be found on the Cane and Rinse website. Head to caneandrinse.com also for articles, features, reviews, and links to the forum, the Facebook page, the YouTube channel. And if you enjoy all that we do, mainly the podcast, but also don't forget all that other stuff that you can check out, you can support us in a couple of ways. Well, a number of ways, in fact. Uh, one is obviously liking, subscribing, uh, giving us reviews and ratings on iTunes or wherever other, uh, whatever other platform you use for getting podcasts. Uh, you can buy uh, T-shirts and bags at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash and we get a few quid for each one. Or perhaps best of all, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash rinse. You can donate a minimum of a dollar a month or more if you wish, as many kind patrons already do. And actually, we have a campaign going on now, you may be aware. We're looking to hit a target of $3,000 per month by mid-November. And if we hit that, we'll be planning on doing double the number of Cane and Rinse podcasts next year. So we'll be twice as likely with 100 shows to cover a game that you're interested in, you have feedback for, or you want to play along with. Or if you're one of those people who listens to every show that we do and uh, hoovers it all up, you'll have twice as much entertainment in your ears. So patreon.com slash Cane and Rinse. Let's make it happen. We also have a music podcast, video games music, I should say, Sound of Play. Also review, rate and subscribe that one. And, uh, and we thank you very much for all of that. Now joining me, Leon Cox in issue 271, are James Carter. Hello. Carl Moon. Hey, guys. And of course, Mikhail Croder. <laughs> oh, that's not, that's good. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice. We, we don't right. do that anymore, right? Those, uh, those quotes. Yeah, you could do that. You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can, you can be silly. It's fine. I know, I know, I know what, I know what they say, but it's not true. Um, <laughs> a quick mention of River City Ransom, Kunio-kun, Renegade. Uh, those games kind of predate Double Dragon. Double Dragon is a spiritual successor. Arguably, it was even originally going to be basically a straight sequel to Renegade. And that series is a very interesting series in itself. And it goes down some interesting paths with some home-only sequels by Ocean uh, that were you know, different games with, with uh, merits of their own. And that may be a show that we do someday. Uh, there was also a later uh, fighting game from the same uh, producer, Yosh- Yoshihisa Kishimoto, uh, The Combat Tribes. That's also something that we might look at later on. But Double Dragon was the one that we had the most impetus, the most requests to cover, uh, and the most kind of enthusiasm among the team to do it this point so that's why we're starting where we're starting also it is the 30th anniversary of double dragon 1987 was a year it came out uh, and i do remember i do remember playing it back then uh, and we'll, we'll what we'll do is we'll do our histories with each game as we go along and some of us won't have a history with every game that we're covering today because it's going to be a bit of a, a whistle stop tour of the series uh, so technos japan the creators the developers but uh, you may have found that your arcade machine uh, probably had a taito logo on it somewhere mm. um, because they distributed it 
outside of Japan, West, uh, Western USA and Europe. Uh, and as I say, yes, Yoshihisa Kishimoto, Kishimoto-san uh, is the main man. It's his very, very much his uh, brainchild and baby following Kunio-kun or Renegade. He was previously, his first game was actually a game for Data East called Pro Soccer as a 1983, very early football game. Uh, he was a sub-director on that before moving on to direct a couple of quite famous Laserdisc games, uh, Cobra Command and Road Blaster, also known as Road Avenger, not to be confused with Atari Road Blasters, which is a different game, a game that I love. Uh, and these, I think, came out, although they were 1984 games, they ended up coming out on Mega CD in the late 80s, early 90s as well. So people may remember those from then. But yeah, same guy. I don't think I even knew that until researching for, for this show that there was that connection. But actually, if you look at what's in the garage of the uh, uh, when Double Dragon opens and the second game, uh, he's harking back to those very games with the, with the red Corvette style sports car and the, uh, and the chopper in the second game. Kishimoto-san has referred to himself as the grandfather of the beat-em-up genre, which I'd say is slightly self-aggrandizing. And I don't think uh, we can forget that there were games before this, mm. uh, even before Renegade, such as Spartan X uh, and Karataka, which we've talked about before. We've now covered a few scrolling brawlers on, on Kane and Rintz, uh, Final Fight, Streets of Rage and Golden Axe as, as well in the, uh, the more hack and slash genre. And we talked, we talked some about uh, the origins of the genre. Uh, it's fair to say that uh, he started the the whole belt scroller thing with the, where you were able to freely move around the screen rather than being um, confined to a single plane. Yeah, I think that is definitely fair. Yeah, uh, he cites some inspirations as uh, being uh, Bruce Lee. Uh, who sort of crops up uh, in caricature form in the third game. Uh, he also uh, says that Mad Max, the, the, the early uh, Mel, Bro Mel Brooks, that would have been a very different film. <laughs> I, would have, I would have enjoyed those a lot more. Mel Gibson films, the uh, post-apocalyptic dystopian Australian sci-fi of Mad Max was an influence. Fist of the North Star, also an influence. I'm not that familiar, but I know it's a, it's a big deal. It's interesting uh, because mm -hmm. that's actually kind of a... You know, post-apocalyptic vision, uh, Mad Max style, viewed through a, a Japanese lens uh, with a lot sure. of uh, martial arts uh, included. Yep. Well, that makes perfect sense. And although I, I didn't see it directly referenced uh, as it was with Streets of Rage and Final Fight, but I don't think you can ignore the Warriors. I think Definitely probably more than, more than any other of the scrolling beat-em-ups, the costumes in Double Dragon lean very heavily on... On, on the famous 1979. It has this whole element to it of uh, gangs taking it to the streets uh, with baseball bats and, uh, and melee weaponry and just... Uh, and terrible dress sense. Terrible dress sense. But I think that actually was uh, was born in Renegade already because Kunio yeah, Kun was, had this, this whole Japanese uh, high school gang uh, style to yeah. it. But then for the, the localization, for the Western localization, uh, Renegade was, I think... It start. It even starts out on a subway platform, yes. and the first boss very much looks like one of the warriors, uh, or maybe even one of the villains in the in the movie. Yeah, yeah, very true. As is our way, we're going to hear from uh, members of the Kainerince community throughout the show who have posted on the forum. We're going to start with Joshi Hatsumitsu, who says, The first time I remember seeing the original arcade game was at our local pool, which had a tiny room with some games for those who weren't too fond of swimming lessons. And I don't actually recall playing it much. I think I ended up playing Wonder Boy more, which, I, which was also there, or spending my coins on sweets at the canteen. Can't compete with sugar, I guess. I now remember that the other cabinet that stole my attention 
Uh, and that was WWF Superstars, also from Technos and with uh, Kishimoto-san as director. The version I ended up putting the most hours into was the Sega Master System version. My friend owned a copy and without fail, every time we got to stage four, we would do the 30 or so jump kicks to get unlimited continues for the final level. And yeah, at the time on that little underpowered console, which we both greatly appreciated having at the time, Double Dragon made for a good two player experience at home. It was probably the best two-player brawler you were likely to get on that system. The box art for the Master System version looks like Billy and Jimmy are giving a press conference to some very rowdy journalists. While Double Dragon caught my eye in the way that most arcade machines grabbed my attention as a kid, there was competition. Living in Australia, especially out in the fringes, means that the latest and greatest games take a while to filter down here. There was the four-player Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade cabinet, and perhaps even more influential and attention-grabbing was Final Fight, which we covered in issue 214. Once those machines caught my eye, I kind of forgot about Double Dragon. We'll start with Double Dragon. Now, it's important to say that there were a lot of versions of this. Um, There were ports on dozens of formats. Uh, We can't possibly cover uh, every single uh, piece of minutiae about every version, but we're going to talk about uh, the versions that we've played the most, that mean the most to us and the most we're the most familiar with. So for me to start, because I'm the oldest and because I suspect I've probably played the most of the original Double Dragon, Double Dragon the first is, I think... The first arcade machine I ever won credit completed. I remember playing this in co-op with a friend, Chris, and it was uh, we got towards the end. Uh, we got to the end of that uh, in co-op for the first time. I, I hadn't seen before. He was desperate to show me the three pixels of Marion's knickers that you got to <laughs> see at the end of the game. Uh, we were 14 years old or something. I can only apologise. That twist uh, that that happens that is I think unlike anything I'd seen up to that point which is where a co-op game suddenly turns into a versus game at the very last minute hey hang on we've both rescued this damsel in distress and there's two of us and there's only one of her so what do we do well uh, we we brothers kick the crap out of each other to see who automatically uh, gets to uh, to give her a kiss at the end of the game regardless of her wishes uh, on the matter, <laughs> she seems to be fairly. Uh, she, she she seems to respond in kind in with two frames of animation. Um, but yeah, then I remember after playing it in co-op, going back and playing it a lot, uh, single player. There was a there was a uh, arcade under the pier uh, in Brighton, which had ten p credits for this game. And uh, at that point, at this point, that was generally cheap games are already you know heading up to 20 30 pence a credit so a 10p game was something you could spend time on and although this game was very short and i soon worked out how to make it quite easy i played it a lot because i i knew i would get you know value for money out of it and not have to just chuck coin after coin in into it uh as regards to conversion so i had an 8-bit atari computer at the time which didn't uh, because it didn't sell well outside of america uh it didn't get all the latest and greatest conversions um but as it turned out, with the 8-bit versions of Double Dragon, uh, I didn't miss out. They were they were done by Melbourne House, and although I can't comment because I've never played them, I remember the graphics, I remember the screenshots, and I remember the reviews. It, uh, it was a game that was done a, a pretty awful disservice, and uh, later on, on 16-bits as well. So I didn't worry about that, and then the next time I came back to the game, really, other than occasionally playing it in the arcades of Brighton, would have been the Xbox 360 version, which Empire released uh, some years back now, and uh, it's no longer available due to rights issues. Oh, no, because Empire went out of business, I think, actually, isn't it? I think so, yes, they they 
you can't download any Empire Interactive stuff unless you've already unless you already own it from from that era. Um, but yeah, so I picked up kind of where I left off. It was a decent a decent emulated version, and I got into the top few hundred, possibly even the top one hundred at one point of uh, of high scores on on the uh, on the online leaderboards. And I'm not suggesting that the game sold millions of copies, but I could still one credit it and and there therefore almost by default get get a decent score and so most recently uh, i bought the hamster arcade archives version for playstation 4 which is a pretty bare bones emulation doesn't come with a ton of options it doesn't for instance uh, even allow you to eliminate the slowdown like like pc versions do so it's it's entirely authentic to the original pcb yeah. which if you want that is great uh, it doesn't have a lot of other options for instance, uh, in Double Dragon 2, they add a caravan mode and a high score uh, challenge mode, whereas this this first one doesn't have any of that, really. Uh, but it does have does, does still have leaderboards. And I'm pleased to say that uh, as of yesterday, I stuck my arcade stick in and uh, one credited it all over again and got in the top 500 in the world on, on Double Dragon 1. So uh, I think it's fair to say that I'm. Yeah, I'm qualified to speak about Double Dragon, having played it for 30 years and being pretty good at it. But that is partly because it is very small and quite easy. Mikhail, you're the, you're the next eldest. Uh, so do you go all the way back to the arcades of 87 with Double Dragon? Yeah, yeah. And I remember being um, really uh, impressed with when I first laid eyes on a cabinet, indeed, uh, which came up with the title logo first. There's a lot of uh, detail and shading going on on the characters and the backgrounds that uh, I hadn't seen up uh, up till that point on any other uh, arcade games. I remember thinking this game looks really realistic. I only started playing it on holidays in '88 in the French Alps uh, in a resort that uh, me and my family were staying. I also very vividly remember the smell of sweet popcorn because it was standing next to a, a popcorn vending machine. And nice. uh, so it, I always kind of associate that smell with uh, with Double Dragon. It just the combat in the game felt so vicious coming off games like Kung Fu Master. Uh, it was so visceral. Like these these guys were you know were not just kicking characters off the screen and they would disappear. They were beating them into seemingly a bloody pulp, and the sound effects were yeah. smashing. And you know you would grab enemies by the hair and knead them in the face. It was it was pretty brutal, uh, unlike anything else yeah. I had seen before that time. Uh, and of, you you would pick up knives and baseball bat and just really make sure it it felt very much like how uh, you would uh, probably approach a real life street fight where you make sure the other guy doesn't get up. Absolutely, and and that that sort of level of of grittiness and violence that that is evoked by little spatter, spatters of pixelated blood on people's faces and things like that. Yeah. Um, it sort of belies the slightly uh, stylized, super deformed, almost top heavy sprites. Uh, it's, it's still sort of slightly, a slightly odd juxtaposition I find, but it gives it a lot of personality. So I think a lot of people listening, especially uh, probably our American listeners will, uh, may even be more familiar with the NES version than they are with the arcade machine. Uh, and I know there is a certain amount of fondness for the NES version, maybe more so the second game and perhaps somewhat the third, but uh, I was always, I was never uh, interested in playing the NES version of Double Dragon. It always looked, it just didn't appeal to me. It looked like a, a really scaled down 
slightly boring looking cutified port but i don't i i'm that's just me being honest i'm not saying that that's what everyone's experience mm. was or should have been i could recognize that it was almost certainly going to be a a better conversion in terms of playability and in fact um the original team worked on the nes yeah. version i was surprised to find that out years later yeah. that it was the original team who did yeah. the port uh but uh, so i'm sure it retained some of the uh, the feel but obviously it would have struggled to replicate the graphics and sound and 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 it in the first game they didn't manage the two-player option and that kind of mm. thing so um but yeah but feel free to to invoke different versions and and where they alter because my familiarity with the the arcade original is intense but my familiarity with other versions is virtually non-existent so a big part of the street fighter 2 discussion that was had was about the fact that this was kind that was kind of one of the first times where it felt like the home version was the equivalent of the arcades and it wasn't necessarily 100% true but what you were looking at looked like it did in the arcades enough that you could be yeah. proud of the home version is it fair to say that double dragon kind of was too early to manage that because i i looked at some nes footage mm. um and there's like flickering of the sprites where there's oh, yeah. they're lying on the ground it's like I guess what we'd call a collision issue um, mm-hmm. where it doesn't know whether to show the sprite or the floor. Uh, and there's lots of that kind of stuff going on, which is clearly just a limitation of technology, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a common NES thing where there are too, yeah, yeah. too many sprites on one uh, horizontal line on the screen. Mm-hmm. So the, the flickering uh, is basically that, like the NES trying to decide which, uh, which sprite yeah. to show. Yeah, yeah. It needs to cut mm-hmm. something out. Yeah, I think uh, it's, a, it's, a whole, it's a whole other topic, but uh, while Konami in particular were very good at making interpretations of their arcade machines for the NES, mm. uh, there was no way that this... Cause the NES was a 1983 piece of home technology. And at that point, arcade machines of 1983 were already more powerful than the NES was. So by the time we got to this sort of era, 87, 88, the arcade machines were massively overpowered compared to the NES. So there was no way that they could have replicated. What was more disappointing was when uh, these ports were licensed to third party, often European developers for release on computers. And you would often get these comments sort of saying, well, there's no way that the Commodore 64 could have handled a decent version of Double Dragon and that's why the port's so appalling. Well, that doesn't add up when it actually did get very good ports of Renegade. It got sequels to Renegade Mm -hmm. that worked really well. And although there would have always had to have been compromises, there was no reason that, for instance, the Amiga version of Double Dragon should have been as unplayable and hideous as it was. It was just a a badly executed port. So uh, it certainly was possible to to have, um, particularly on the Amiga, to have um, quality arcade conversions at this point. Not arcade perfect, but of that same sort of matching standard Mm. um, as Street Fighter. Uh, And in fact, the third game, Rosetta Stone, did get a decent Amiga port, but whether you wanted a decent port of the arcade game of Rosetta Stone is a matter for later in the show. So, Double Dragon Two on the uh, Amiga was uh, was very good looking as well. It looked very close to the uh, uh, two, to the arcade two, version to my uh, in yeah, my in absolutely. my memories at least. Yeah, two two was uh, it was a different um, licensee, different development team, and yeah, all I think pretty much across the board, all all home versions of two were by Binary Design, and they were a much better handled. Uh, affair than than the first game perhaps they had more time perhaps they had more skill perhaps they were given more resources as we know there's all sorts of uh, perhaps they factors more. complain to that and perhaps they care more yeah right carl you would have been well you're not you uh, forget you and james are similar age but uh, james i think it's older but i think you came to the game probably before james did i was born in 1984 
and I would regularly be in arcades by 1989, 1990. Um, and that's both in the north and the south of the country. So I was never far away from a Double Dragon arcade machine. Um, the issue I've got is that I didn't come to it in 87. So when I was playing Double Dragon, we already had stuff like uh, Golden Axe, for example, would have been in the arcades. Um, and then there was the various other ones that came around it, like WWS Superstars and uh, Final Fight not long after. So in, in terms of a timeline, it's hard to pick out exactly where uh, where Double Dragon stands in that. Yeah. Because I always remember it being positioned right next to Golden Axe Machines. And even though there was a, a an age difference of two years between the two titles, for me, they're both of the similar era. But I did play a lot of uh, Double Dragon as a result because if one machine was busy, you'd go on the other one. And it was always great. And and we were filled with our kids that were playing them both at 10p. So I, I had a lot of 10p Double Dragon. Yeah. So is the coin-op the version you've played the most over the years or have you played any of the other ports or conversions? I've played quite a few different versions of Double Dragon over the years. The arcade's definitely the one that's fondest to me. Um, yeah. it, it really wasn't something that transitioned well to other systems, as we've mentioned, but I played it on the Amiga, which was really strange, just purely on the how the character looked with the huge blonde hair that <laughs> just looked yeah. really strange. It was a bizarre sort of sprite. Um, it was unresponsive, horrible to play, which I feel like for someone who loves the Amiga like me on recent shows, that's been the result of the Amiga version consistently, is an unresponsive mess. But I, I played quite a bit of that one. Uh, it's one of the few games I ever played on an Atari Lynx, which was also a horrible version because it's incredibly zoomed in. It's right. really weird to play. I wonder who, uh, I don't know off the top of my head, who handled the Lynx port. I assume it may have been some actual team at Atari who were making games for the Lynx. I'm not sure. Uh, I, th- I think I could- Atari definitely had a more defined licensing team, didn't they, when it came to the Atari Lynx. I think it, mm. sort of the Atari ways that tend to be very involved in stuff. Fun fact about the Amiga version. Uh, in, in some ways, it's it's a cool thing. In other ways, it's, uh, it, it's uh, a good illustration of how much they didn't care about actually replicating the coin-op, but... We'll talk about the slowdown that played the original coin-op, but uh, the Amiga version actually had more enemies on screen than the coin-op because they could, because uh, it was quite good at handling that sort of thing. So even though it's, uh, by all accounts, a terrible game, terrible conversion, terribly reviewed, they actually had more enemies on screen than uh, than uh, the original, but that's not necessarily a good thing. So, James, I think uh, you are sort of control in this. You're like new to Double Dragon overall? Uh, no, accurate? not new, but um, okay. <laughs> let me know if you've heard this one before. Um, Double Dragon is a Game Boy game for me. Um, ah, right. Okay, that's Much cool. like my kind of input on the Mario series, being that Super Mario Land and Super Mario Land 2 were my touchstones, which meant the original uh, versions of that game and the, the SNES versions and the mainline series that Ken Rins have covered always seemed harder than they ought be because I was used to the slightly cuddlier versions on the Game Boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> slightly is probably overstating it. <laughs> uh, They're the very, very, or understating it. Left soft around the edges and ill-equipped for the rigours of adult life, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, in a post-apocalyptic world where I needed to be wearing a sleeveless denim jacket, I'd be hopeless. Um, mainly because I wouldn't With wear... With your super deformed yeah. head. um so so yeah uh my my take on that and i suppose uh to to reference what uh was saying 
th- there is kind of that notion of the game playing it now or as kind of a a, a brutal um not mortal combat levels no. of gore or violence no, sure. but certainly there is that sense of impact that i think in the way that pinball's a physical game and arcade machines are much more physical probably i guess as a way to describe them than a home console certainly a, a game boy just in your hand sitting playing um there's that kind of you sense the impact because you're, you know, you're slapping the buttons and you're rocking oh, yeah. from side to side on the stick, and there's someone next to you elbowing you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know all that aspect that elevates the the impact that the the violence on screen would have been having, which just isn't there in the Game Boy version. I think it's safe to say. Mm. I mean, looking back at it now, taking away the fond memories, I think is actually still a really good representation of the game. Uh, yeah. You know, the themes there in all its Game Boy glory with that chipset that they had uh, available. Um, and the weapons are there. The enemy types are there. You can tell who's who. But obviously, I, I guess the NES version was as well. It's paired down to two-button control. Uh, so punch, kick, and jump without the directionality that the first game had in mm. the arcades. There's still a sense that you need to be pushing in the right direction and use the correct attack button for a jump attack, for example. That's kind of gone in the Game Boy version. It's much happier as a kind of button-mashing 2D brawler than, say, something like a Streets of Rage level, almost technical side to it. I guess so, yeah. So otherwise, I I assume it was a sort of zoomed-in black and white, green and grey version of the NES game. To all yes, intents and purposes, yeah, probably yeah. maybe maybe fewer sprites on the screen. I don't know, but yeah, obviously you do miss out on the, the crunchy sampled sound and all, all that sort of stuff in the arcade. And now you've you've uh, you've now you've now experienced the arcade original, but obviously you're playing a thirty year old game at this point. This game, uh, unlike uh, a lot of modern uh, indie or or art games, uh, they like to end with a gut punch. This starts with one, a very literal one, which actually I th- I think I find more disturbing now as a as a, as a forty something year old man in in the twenty tens than I did as a as a teenager in the eighties. It, it seemed just completely reasonable for a video game to start with a a big burly man walking up to a woman in the street and punching her so hard in the stomach that she doubles over. You think uh, so? I, I remember quite shocked as a kid when I saw that. Really? So, okay. Yeah, because well, I probably would, yeah. more sensitive. It immediately set the tone of the game's brutality for me. Oh, they're not yeah. literally not pulling any punches here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it follows the mantra of, um, I guess, the damsel in distress trope, which is the bad guy does a bad thing so that you know that he's bad. You know, that kind of cackling malevolence and, okay, it, sometimes it doesn't have to be quite as violent. It can be their manner or whatever. But in this case, it's just you're left in no doubt from one very short cutscene that who the bad guy is and what you need to do. I mean, the original cutscene for Final Fight we talked about in that podcast, that's mm. quite distressing as well. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's a censored, a slightly censored version um, in, the, in the West, but um, there was a sense, uh, especially post-Robocop, that those uh, the Mad Gear gang were these maniacal, you know, potential rapists kind of thing, whereas this guy, uh, Willie, of the Black Warriors, just strolls up to her in the street, punches, punches in. I mean, it is the most streamlined piece of storytelling <laughs> in video gaming history. Uh <laughs> along with those cutscenes in in the original Pac-Man. Um and yeah, the from from a garage uh, with a with a rolling 
a, a roller blind type door. I don't know what you call them. Um, Jimmy and or Billy appear. Uh, so Jimmy Lee is uh, named after Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. And Billy Lee is named after both Bruce Lee and Billy Lowe, Bruce Lee's character in Game of Death. Uh, apparently in some American arcade resource resources, I think the arcade manual, they're referred to as Hammer and Spike. Uh, but thankfully that didn't stick. So one of the things that I think is still quite striking, we're talking about the game's personality and, and slightly unusual look and feel. Uh, this game has perhaps a cast of enemy characters that are certainly in a couple of cases, maybe some of them are, are fairly generic. And I, like, I've been playing this game for 30 years and I couldn't tell you all of their names, but there are a few characters in this that are instantly recognisable. Uh, obviously, you've got uh, Linda. Linda? See, yeah. I'm doubting myself with the names now. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it's Linda. Yeah. Linda in the purple onesie, catsuit possibly, uh, with the whip, with uh, her 80, what I still assume is is an 80s highly uh, hairsprayed bubble perm. And uh, later she changes her look somewhat. Um, but obviously there's a Bobo as well, or, or, or all the Abobos, the Abobo brothers. I'm still not sure. Uh, there's there's white Abobos, there's black Abobos, who we inevitably referred to as Mr. T when we were kids playing the game. Uh, there's a green Abobo um, and he's become somewhat iconic. And if we do, uh, sorry, when we do revisit uh, or visit the second half of this series of games or the modern incarnations, we will also talk about uh, fan 2012 Flash game, I think, Abobo's Big Adventure. Uh, which apparently uh, the creator, the original uh, creators of the game are actually quite happy that that exists compared, especially mm. compared to some of the later games in the series, which which he's less, which uh, Mr. Kishimoto is less, less enthused about. A Bobo is a far too frighteningly friendly name as well, isn't it, for a villain? It sounds like <laughs> something out of like Monkey Ball or something. All of them, of course, there's Jimmy and Billy Lee, which have the last name as Bruce Lee. All of them are in some way tied to uh, Bruce Lee and specifically the movie uh, yeah. Enter the Dragon. One of the things that Kishimoto has said in interviews is that he was disappointed how uh, the characters were treated in the various different versions over the years, not keeping consistent look and, mm. and things like this. For me, the characters are nowhere near as iconic as they are in Final Fight. And I think a lot of that is just to do with my age and coming in and when Final Fight yeah. came around in, in like around 91. The music uh, is something which I think there are a couple of themes which are, are extremely catchy and memorable and they get remade and, and reused and uh, we'll talk about the, the reworkings in Neon when we get to that show uh, I played Super Double Dragon which we'll talk about later this afternoon and some of the classic themes popped up on the Super Nintendo sound chip um, and what I would say is while it's not a soundtrack that has perhaps endured in the same way that uh, Yuzo Koshiro's Streets of Rage soundtracks have that where I will still listen to those just purely for, for pleasure. Uh, there's a lot of music in Double Dragon, which is uh, incredibly apt and apposite uh, and, and atmospheric for the piece. And the composer in question is Kazanuka Yamane, who uh, also, uh, well, pretty much stuck. This, this was his first uh, work, as far as uh, I can ascertain. And he carried on working on the series, worked on the sequels, worked on the, uh, the NES versions um, and, and stuck with the series and, and that company all the way until the, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. There's some sleaze. There's a bit of, bit of funk. My memory of the music is somewhat different 
when it comes to Double Dragon. Um, playing it in the arcades, it was never overly loud. I, I mentioned how loud something like Final Fight was in the arcades, particularly the shrill ringing phone at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Double Dragon was always a single stand-up unit that was somewhat towards the corner of... Off to the side in the arcades, so it was next to the likes of Golden Axe, and they, those machines were always the ones turned down. Final Fight, for example, was a sit-down unit, so it had more volume. So I was never really aware of the music, um, and when I play it now, I don't really place it as anything memorable. However, the Amiga, the one good thing I would pay tribute to is it actually had a pretty good, well, a pretty good song. I think it's fair to say it was pretty much one tune, um, but it was a really good one, and it it worked really well for that game. So my my memory of the music is nothing to do with sort of the arcade version of this, but actually the, quite frankly, awful Amiga version. But uh, it did yeah, have it was a good music. it very um, chip-tune-y sound, the Amiga version, yeah. wasn't it? It didn't sound like an Amiga tune. It sounded like uh, something more 8-bit-ish, but it didn't sound like the coin-up either, so goodness it knows. Was really, it was really sort of a strange... I knew that I liked it then, but when I listened to it more recently, it stands out because it's so, it's so different to the other releases. It wasn't uncommon at all in those days for uh, for game. There's many of the ports of of these games wouldn't have had music at all, uh, or they might have had a title theme. It was entirely common for uh, like Western computer game conversions of arcade machines to have completely different music, no music, some music, some music that vaguely resembled the original coin ops or or choice didn't. between um, music or sound effects. Yeah, that could happen as well. Yeah, totally. So yeah, but. Um, yeah, and speaking of sound effects, uh, we've already mentioned them. I think one of the the things that still stands out, and I, what <laughs> it made me notice just how few sound effects there are. When I was playing the original Double Dragon the other day, and I was thinking the sound would be, you know, carrying through the flat as it does, and I was thinking, I wonder what Tanya's thinking about this because it oh, because she's just hearing me do reverse elbow smash over and over and over <laughs> and over again um and she's probably just thinking nothing or that's an old video game but I, I was suddenly conscious how few sound effects there are but i was also conscious of just how uh kind of imprinted on my psyche the sound effects in this game are you're talking about kind of the the feeling of pressing the buttons and it really does uh, add a lot for me to I said this with with Final Fight as well to plug in an, uh, an arcade stick and play this uh, as as the creators originally intended on a stick and buttons because slamming two buttons down to uh, to do a reverse elbow smash or or another move if you're feeling daring uh, is it actually has a different you know, a literally more visceral mm. kinetic feel than yeah. simply thumb thumbing down two buttons simultaneously. Yeah. So it does actually, cha- you know, it cha- changes your experience. I guess this is where people who are kind of always play on the real hardware kind of come from is, is that that's the authentic yeah. way to do it. it. It's not, it, I suppose we mention it so often, especially on podcasts where it's me and you, Leon, because we, discuss our arcade things and maybe it comes across as a little bit elitist that this is the best way to play it but i think there's just something more memorable about that as a connection to the game it's sort of so immediate and brutal and big Mm. and chunky that when it's sort of shrunk down to a controller there's just not a lot there and controllers are obviously brilliant because we've got so many games that are built around that mechanic now but for stuff like this i mean we even mentioned it on the tetris recording which seems a really Mm. strange one in Mm. retrospect for anyone listening to this but there was something to be said for playing tetris on an arcade unit that still feels brilliant um and certainly for any game like this um that was like golden axe or 
Final Fight, I would absolutely recommend an arcade stick as the the superior way to play it. Just the the size of it in your hands, the spacing, there's just being connected and directly facing the unit. It's it's there's just something that can't be quite matched, and it's a shame because we know that when it comes to a lot of our American listeners, it's usually the NES that they come to, and that, that's their playing. And and fair enough for anyone who loved it, but in terms of the controls, it's just. I've always felt like when it comes to playing Double Dragon on anything else, it feels so inferior that I feel almost disconnected from it that I just don't enjoy it anywhere near the same way. And going back to the sound, um, yeah. there have been many um, beat-em-ups uh, over history that have improved on uh, almost anything in, uh, in Double Dragon, but the sound effects is still something that I feel a lot of seminal games that followed it didn't quite get as right as uh, Double Dragon yeah. did. It's just really the, the punches being thrown, especially if you hit that three-punch combo, the doosh, 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 yeah. just really, you know, it sounds, sounds so impactful. Uh, whereas if you play your Streets of Rage or your Final Fight, it's more mm. along the lines of something like something yeah. soft-sounding. Oh, yeah, which... Double Dragon that Two sound like and a... Three don't even get it as uh, as as right as this first game for my for my ears. Yeah, it's uh, it's really impactful, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, there's actually one other game that uh, does that one ups it, uh, but that's probably the the only single uh, single department in which it one ups it, and that's Vigilante uh, by uh, mm-hmm. Irem, which yes, uh, sounds even louder and. Uh, and harder uh, as far as punches and, uh, and kicks yeah. go, and that's more of a Spartan X clone than a uh, than yeah. a yeah. Cause you don't get a spiritual uh, sequel, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so James, obviously, uh, as regards to audio, you were playing pretty much with blips and blops for the most of your Double Dragon career. So what's it like coming to the? Uh, have you have you played the um, you played the hamster PS4 version? Is that yes, the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, what's it what's it like coming to that? <laughs> must be a must be a bit of a shock. Yeah, it sounds wrong. <laughs> There's no two ways to put it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Firing up the Game Boy version after, I was like, no, no this is what it's supposed to sound like. Um, so yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with Carl that, uh, you know, the, it's an arcade game and every other version of that's going to be an approximation in some way, shape or form. But yeah, hearing that theme tune in the arcade version that, that Hamster put onto the PS4, I recognise it's the theme tune, but it wasn't until I fired up the the Game Boy version uh, on, on RetroPie and there's the theme tune as I remember it and it's got all the nostalgia attached to it and uh, and the same for, for the sound effects and the playing of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I remember, so it's what I think of when I think of, of Double Dragon and sure, I, I can absolutely appreciate that it's, the I think, a pretty good approximation on with Game Boy hardware of, of what the game was uh, intended to be but it's certainly what I think of most fondly when I think of Double Dragon. Um, and yeah, it's it beeps and blops and it's higher pitched and a little more sort of uh, clipped and clean, I guess. Yeah. Um, just because they, they can't put in, well, the Game Boy didn't have any attempt at bass or anything like that, like you would Not be able really. to get from an arcade cabinet, um, of course. But but it's still unmistakably the theme tune. They still have the sound effects in there, you know. Uh, it, it does sound different if you use a punch than a, a baseball bat, which it sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but you can't always guarantee that with a Game Boy game. <laughs> they tend to use whatever they can. So, And perhaps one of the most striking things now about playing the arcade version or the 
hamster version of the arcade version uh, on PlayStation 4, uh, or a straight emulation, which which can be tweaked, uh, is the slowdown present on the original board. It's it, I you know I remember experiencing it then, but we've talked before I think recently about the idea that actually sometimes slowdown has a weird kind of effect where or certainly did back in the day where it was like wow this game must be so amazing because it's it's slowing the yeah. game down there's so much going on and it, it was it, it was yeah. probably way too <laughs> ambitious uh, a game oh, as, as far of uh, absolutely as, as graphics yeah. go for yeah. for the, the hardware at the time to handle it as soon as a third character came on screen uh pretty much uh, the game almost slows to a crawl i don't know what the frame rate actually is but it's uh it goes from i, I i'm pretty sure it runs at 60 optimally but it then it like drops right down to about i don't know 15 or something what's weird is though that even though it's completely unacceptable you could say it was broken if it was released now um i love the fact that the the hamster ps4 version does it exactly as it should uh, yeah. and in fact yeah. firstly it means it's correct for true time attacking um, yeah. i've seen a gameplay uh, a playthrough that's uh, a world record speed that's 8 minutes but that is a, that is not possible on the on the arcade original because some of the sections take way longer than than they ought to do but and, it, and this sounds like awful excuse making, um, and I am going to be critical of Double Dragon in a bit. But the the fact that it slows down, and the fact that you really feel like you have to slam down those buttons to make the moves connect, again, it kind of plays into that whole visceral that something weighty is going on. The a fact that there's, feeling. there's a delay between things happening and the sound effects coming out of the machine. I mean, it's 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 terrible, really, on a technical level. Like they they really overreached, and or they just needed to add some some more processor chips to the PCB, which is obviously what they did for the for the sequel. Where although it is still prone to slow down, it it takes a lot more to uh, to get it there. And as I say, the largely uh, criticised Double Dragon trilogy that's available on Steam. It's, it's actually that version which, uh, if you go on speedrun and look for arcade world records, that's the one where it's been done. The the not well received arcade port of Double Dragon because you can you can run through it without slowdown. So I don't even think that should count personally. But uh, there may be disclaimers and and caveats and things like that. But uh, but it's interesting. Yeah, hamster have gone down the route with the arcade archives and they've they've got a bit more complicated as the series gone on. I think Double Dragon was like a first generation PS4 arcade archives title. Um, and it, as I say, it's got very, very few options. But I have played other games in the past before. I think like uh, some of Konami's stuff, Gradius Collection stuff, you can either simulate the original clock speed or you can have the modern processor take you know take it away so you get a smooth 60 frames or, or whatever but yeah this it's like it feels it yeah it, it feels part of the experience for me but it is it is hilariously treacle like at times i've played versions where it's sped up and it feels ugly but the 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 thing i would relate it to is I, i'm okay at playing it because my memories are of a game that was already noticeably uh heavy on slowdown so I can forgive that when I play it now, but I wouldn't recommend it for someone new coming to it because it feels bad. And it's when it comes to speedruns, one that is an absolute perfectly smooth experience should not count. Absolutely not. And it, it we, we discussed similar when we discussed the speedrun on the Perfect Dark show where he ran yeah. it on the N64 because that's mm. the 15 frames per second version, not the 60 frames per second yeah. version. I think and I think it's all right if you're competing like for like, but it shouldn't be like this. This is the world record 
for exactly, Double Dragon. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. that's the that's more the exception than the rule. Yeah. Um yeah. when you know the rule is that that game suffers rather yeah. horrific slowdown. It should be the world record for that version only. I suspect that it may be and I haven't, you know, I haven't had time to to delve too far into that, but uh, but it's interesting that it, that it, you know, I was expecting to see a playthrough of the coin op and I saw a playthrough of the Steam version and it very clearly says this is the Steam version, it runs smoothly, etc mm-hmm. etc, et but it doesn't exactly look quite perfect to coin up as well. It doesn't look like the sprites are exactly the same. Uh, dimensions and stuff yeah. like that. And, either, and it's so. got sound problems and stuff where the sound just yeah. drops out, which seems to be, I'm sure I've read that multiple times on .emu's output that has yeah. put me off buying uh, Garou Mark of the Wolves had a similar situation. I'd, uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I'd, sound dropping out was no, known on many of the arcade versions as well, right? Well, that was a lack of channels rather than an, an actual gl- bug, I suppose. It's whether this is a, a new or different bug or whether it's simply replicating the lack of sound channels um, in the original in the original coin-op. Uh, we'll hear later from one of our community who uh, has bought a Double Dragon PCB and, uh, and has had some issues with it. The gameplay. This was, as we say, uh, not the first but an early example of a, uh, let's call it in the modern parlance, I suppose, a 2.5D scrolling beat-em-up in that you have uh, some uh, Z-axis movement in, in and out of the screen or up mm-hmm. and down of the screen. I remember you know, I remember playing this in the early days. There hadn't been so many of these games around and it, t- it takes you a little while to sort of work out what to do. And actually playing the Super Nintendo game this afternoon, I realised... When I first started playing that, I was trying to playing it. I was trying to play it like the original Double Dragon coin op, and that's no good because it actually needs you to play it in a much more simple, straightforward way of punching enemies, <laughs> like <Yeah>. actually <laughs> going up to people and punching them. Maybe just stepping slightly left or right so that they walk into your punching animation. But here, this is like we've talked. We've played Streets of Rage. We played Final Fight. We've played Golden Axe, and the kind of the fundamentals of gameplay for these games are very similar across the board, which is that the AI, such as it is for the enemies, will try to track you in a certain way. Normally, it will come at you along the uh, x-axis and try to match your position. And if you just let them do that, they will normally get priority with, with their attack. This is at its most basic. Obviously, it depends on the enemy and so on. So the way to beat scrolling brawlers, beat em ups is normally to... uh, Position yourself slightly away and slightly up or down from the next enemy that you're prioritizing. And as it walks into your axis, you are already executing a move with which to preferably take it down or take it out or make it as uh, little of a of a problem for you for the next few seconds as possible. Now, uh, to do a speed run of Double Dragon, you will need to use... Uh, some of the other moves, the the standing kick, the, uh, the the aforementioned hair grabbing, knee in the face stuff, because it takes off a lot of damage. Yeah. But the problem, the massive problem with the original Double Dragon, and the reason that it's probably one of the only games I could actually, uh, I can actually one CC, is uh, it's got a massively overpowered move, the reverse elbow smash, yeah. which is. Uh, Jump and see, I can't even remember. It's jump and punch, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's jump and punch together, together. Even though I've pl- pressed it literally tens of thousands of times. Jump, jump and, and kick punch. is the uh, equally powerful but slower uh, backwards jumping kick. That's right, which is actually the forerunner of the kind of jumping hurricane kick that Cyclone, yeah, which you'll see in all the other games. But uh, yeah, so it is possible to 
do most of this game without entering into any other uh, moves, but um, but it can make it a little tedious unless you are trying to one credit it. Uh, but yeah, there are there are some there are some tactics to be had as well. There's um, there's a pit of spikes that you can actually get people to fall into if you're if you punch them near enough. But there are some there's some disappointing bits where if you if you um, and I think it's deliberate. But when you reverse elbow punch them, they always hit the deck, which is the thing. And then you time. It's all about timing the wake up so yeah. that you you get them straight back down when when they uh, when they revive. But they always fall forwards towards you when you elbow smash them, so you can't knock them out of the arena uh, that way. Yeah. Unless you're right next to the edge of the front of the screen or something like that. It's something. Let's talk a little bit about the the nature of the elbow smash and what makes it so powerful. Yeah. Because there's another attack that is a one-hit knockdown, uh, which is the uh, headbutt uh, that you uh, activate by pressing forward uh, two times in quick succession. Yeah. Just, yeah tap, tap, like how you there's would no run initiate in a run game. in another yeah. uh, uh, in another game. Or a dash in a fighting game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, but I think the reason what makes the elbow smash so, so powerful is that when you let enemies approach you uh, from behind, there's uh, I think there's probably a, a difficulty balancing uh, thing from the developers. Yeah. There's a slight hesitation before they attack you, and mm-hmm. that hesitation is all you need to to elbow elbow them in the face and knock them down. So the the headbutt. Uh, it's probably not uh, doesn't have as, as high a success rate because they'll will likely if you uh, face them frontally have already initiated an attack of their own. It's harder to connect, and uh, the elbow smash I think has a greater reach as well. Possibly, it certainly feels like it does to me. But maybe that's maybe that's psychological because I, yeah. I feel so <laughs> I feel so safe when I'm doing it. Uh, yeah. yeah, and not only does that work, it works on everybody all the way through the game. Yeah. <laughs> so it is yeah. stupidly overpowered, and it. And it isn't the most powerful move, as I say. So if you if you are try- like if I was to speed run, and this is one of very few games that I would could actually say that I could have an attempt at speed running. You know, I wouldn't be the world record holder, but I could be in the in the ballpark in the top uh, five hundred. Maybe so. Uh, that's that's high score based, though. Yeah. But um, yes, but I would need to uh, I would need to learn when to use the other moves a bit more rather yeah. than over relying because elbow smash. You have to wait for them to get up a few more times. One other uh, interesting thing, and not every game does this still, uh, or not every game that came in in the the brawler, uh, the big years of the of the scrolling brawler, is that. As enemies get more hurt, they take longer to stand up. So it becomes you have to you have to time your elbow smash uh, appropriately for how knackered out the enemy is at that point, which is quite cool, mm. I think. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Like the other games weren't doing that, um, and the grab from behind is also yeah. uh, a thing that other games weren't doing. Balancing certainly a part of it, but it's almost uh, just a, a gap in the enemy's AI that that move happens to to fit neatly between. Um, Super Double Dragon, a big aspect there is just how long the enemies take to attack yeah. you before you can attack them. And that's obviously a big aspect of why you need to kite in this game and why actually you pretty much don't need to bother if if you're using, you know, the, the elbow smashing here or or you're playing a different version of, of a different game or whatever. Yeah, and it is still possible in Double Dragon to... Uh, get caught in a nasty uh, situation between two or three enemies where you don't have time to even um, to slam down those buttons and get 
Jimmy or Billy to execute the animation for the elbow smash. And you will need to extricate yourself by uh, going diagonally off the screen. Uh, You start off with, by default, two two life bars. um, And if you lose one, you get uh, you get downed, you lose a life effectively, and then yeah. you get a brief window of invincibility with which you can drag yourself across the screen back into a, a safer place. In regards to um, the horrible cycles that you can get into uh, and not being able to use the elbow smash, because the elbow smash has a really strange wake-up. If you watch it visually, it's something that triggers a lot more on sound and timing and action, particularly if you're playing it with an arcade stick, I find. Um, whereas if you sort of watch someone do it without any sound the timing of it looks really bizarre mm-hmm. so trying to pull that off in an arcade where you can't quite hear it when you've got multiple enemies on screen and the games that are crawl um can result in some really horrible um ways that you can't even get out because if they if they're staggered and tiered and you're near the front of the screen you're going back as they're already there so you're basically running the gauntlet of hits and losing credits um and and that's never a good time. So I had many a bad experiences um, when multiple enemies are on the screen. I'm just thinking uh, Double Dragon is a series of games. I don't know if this is also true in Renegade off the top of my head. I think it probably is. It might be a Technos thing. Compared to uh, Final Fight and others, uh, this game doesn't display any hit points or hitboxes in the same way. So you, you don't actually, you don't necessarily know where things are going to connect until they do or until you learn to feel it neither does renegade nor does golden x that was an innovation by final fight right okay Mm. yeah interesting uh yeah i quite like it actually because it you know you have to actually feel but then you know you get those moments where you think that should have hit or why didn't that hit one one move might hit in a way and then another move might and that's almost certainly one of the reasons why after final fight came everything else was playing catch up for the longest time um, arguably always were and never succeeded because Final Fight made innovations and everything else by that point was sort of inferior and that's absolutely one of the things. Because I, I think we mentioned similar on the Golden Axe show about the, the contact um, being a bit off at times or where you're certain you've hit someone um, and then you play something like Final Fight where it feels so much more responsive that sort of everything that came before it felt really outdated. Yeah, but in a similar sense, and uh, I'll uh, probably mention uh, or go into that deeper in my conclusion, in a similar sense, uh, a lot of stuff that came after Double Dragon for a while uh, felt very antiquated. Uh, We spoke about the the, uh, Z-axis movement uh, and Double Dragon not being the first game, but it was the first game to include this uh, Z-axis movement that uh, Renegade started into a full-on scrolling game uh, with stage progression. Mm. Rather than uh, going from one arena to the to the next, um, and another thing I found really interesting reading up on developer interviews is that the uh, what pretty much became a uh, standard belt scrolling beat 'em up trope uh, of uh, you know beating all the enemies on screen and then getting a flashing arrow or a flashing pointy finger or a glove yeah. in the case of yes. uh, Double Dragon yeah. wasn't so much a uh, initial result of clever planning and clever game design but it was uh, uh, born during testing where yeah. they found out yeah the player could just walk all the way through the level and let the enemies catch up with them by that time the scre- screen would be filled with so much enemies that the game would just crash so they had to include this part where you could only progress 
further into the stage if you would uh, uh, beat the uh, the enemies that in, uh, were in a particular section. Mm, an interesting, like I understand that now completely, and I understand technical that technical side of it enough uh, at this age, and and having kind of followed the the industry and the medium for so many years. But at the time, I assumed that the big pointy arrow was basically saying uh, no more enemies are going to appear in this section. Yeah. Uh, so it's time for you to move on because these games are on a timer as well, of course. Yeah. So I thought it was more about, yeah, nothing more to see here. Carry yeah, on. Yeah, carry yeah, on. More yeah, chiving you along. Yeah. 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 But the screen actually uh, would stop scrolling uh, up yes, on yeah, set does, pieces yeah. Uh, yeah. before you get the, uh, the arrow. Yep, and that's something that pretty much, yeah, every game in the genre. Actually, um, uh, Rosetta Stone does it slightly differently, doesn't it? Because I think you can... Uh, you can go further ahead and you can either deal with enemies early in the level or later in the level, depending on how far they follow you. But I guess they had more uh, more sprite shifting power at that point. NES version of Double Dragon 3 does something similar where you can walk all uh, pretty far into a stage and just let the enemies uh, catch up with you. But uh, there's only ever, ever two enemies on screen uh, yeah, at the same right. time. So when yeah. those two are down, then the next two show up. So it doesn't matter where you are at that point. So it presumably just keeps a tally of how many enemies it's due to throw at you and just keeps feeding them one yeah. by one. Yeah, until you've beaten all until, the enemies yeah, that were supposed to yeah. appear yeah. on that stage. Yeah. One of the things that I remember being very striking at the time was the fact that you could involve the use of weapons and things lying around, which is something I don't think I'd seen before. I think this was the first no. beat 'em up that I'd played. I don't was it. I don't know if it definitively was the first one ever. Um, I'm pretty sure it was another first. Yeah. Yeah. Renegade had enemies with sticks, but they wouldn't drop out of their hands if you put right. them down. Yeah. So you couldn't grab them for yourself. No, absolutely. And so quite early on in this game, you have the opportunity to uh, pick up a baseball bat. And obviously you think, well, that's awesome. I've got a baseball bat. I'm never going to want to use anything ever again. Uh, And as it turns out, the way I've played it for the last 29 of those 30 years is I never pick up a baseball bat (laughs) or a whip uh, because it just uh, it makes you far more vulnerable. So, yeah, you have to wait for them to get up. Well, the baseball bat uh, has has a better reach than the whip. Yeah, so, but you if if you swing a miss, you're done for. I certainly never pick up dynamite. However, I do pick up knives because they're really powerful. Even in an all reverse elbow smash run through uh, a knife, and sometimes some of the throwing items such as it's barrels useful and just rocks. be able to kind of knock one enemy out of play immediately when they come on screen, isn't it? What I also found very cool is that you can actually punch or kick the knife out of the air when you when it's thrown at you. When you're yes. awesome, you can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did that once accidentally and it blew my mind. Yeah. I, I didn't notice that until Double Dragon 3 with the stone guys who throw their fists at you. Yes. You can actually punch them out of the air. And that was just like, oh, finally. Uh, this, game's, <laughs> this game's spent so long telling me I'm rubbish and I feel good for this one second. <laughs> so one of the curious things about playing Double Dragon the original game, the arcade version, uh, well, is that you will end up, there are, there are some screens where you'll end up with a couple of whips or a, or a whip and a baseball bat on the floor and then it actually becomes about managing your space but avoiding <laughs> avoiding standing in the place yeah. where where you'll pick up the whip or the baseball bat because it'll only make you more vulnerable. Uh, a bit of a bit of an oddity, that. But obviously when you're first playing the coin-op it's uh, really in easy to get frustrated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you'll just want them. You'll just because because obviously you want to to whip people. And actually, there are there are moments, and if you, if you're good at the timing and whatever, you can make use of them. 
as well as the knives, the other thing that does get used are the uh, barrels and rocks. And actually, those are essential tools for speed running because um, in, in a rather quaint and I think rather adorable way is that they have some sort of rudimentary attempt at physics on these on these items <laughs> in that if you throw them at, at walls they bounce back which <laughs> is not necessarily something you'd have expected because this is a game which has no sort of time or hint towards realism in many many ways other than that gritty violence we were talking about but actually the way to defeat uh, the green abobo uh, sub boss or boss if you will uh, is to kind of um, keep throwing the boulder at him and it will actually hit him once on the way in once on the way back while he gets up fast and then you can pick it straight up again and keep throwing it at him and it only takes two or three throws until he's out of the game so that's, a, that's another little technique um, although I still find that the actual lining up of the hitting people, particularly with the box for some reason, uh, which never looks like it's going to do that much damage anyway. I think it's meant to be a wooden crate, but it looks just like a cardboard container. So I'm thinking, <laughs> and it sounds like a cardboard container. There must um, be something I, inside it. Yeah, it that's good, good point. I never even thought of that. There's um, a barrel inside it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> or a chicken. Oh, there's no, there's no health or food pickups. No, yeah, no game, health pickups. Yeah. No. Um, but, I, I still think the animation on the red barrels is fantastic. Like, yeah. it, like the physics isn't realistic. Like they they roll and stop in a in a peculiar way. However, uh, the way that they they've got so many frames of animation like beyond what you think that they need. They, it, was, it seemed like it was a real labor of love getting the those environmental attacks in there. So they must have loved those barrels. Yeah, proved. <laughs> Now, on the downside of Double Dragon and this stuff, it just makes me laugh now. And this is a game, as I say, you can run through in about 10 minutes and, and uh, do it on one credit, even with not that much practice, I would suggest. The game betrays its roots as a coin-stealing rapscallion ragamuffin of a machine by uh, certain things. Now, we talked about the bridge in Golden Axe, which you need to take a run at to make sure of, although you can just about jump it with a normal jump, I think. There's a bridge. There's a bridge in Double Dragon. A few about how far is it? about halfway through maybe, and it is so patently drawn so that you can't tell where the edge of it, the collision is. I still fall off this bridge. <laughs> I can one credit this game. I've been able to one credit this game for thirty years. Sometimes I still misjudge where the edge of that bridge is, and I jump. And then sometimes even when I make the jump. There's an abobo waiting on the other side, and if you're not Watch ready to, back. yeah, if you're not yeah. ready to to jink, um, then there's some holes straight after that. I mean, the game's obviously just starting to to uh, take the Mickey a bit as 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 you get towards the end. <laughs> um, but that that bridge, it, I mean, it is it's complete. That screenshot is 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 iconic. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's just hideous design, really. <laughs> it's just so it's yeah. so blatantly there to take money off people who lose a whole life every time you fall in. Even the the edges of the holes and the ledges there as well. It looks like you should be able to get closer to them than you can. The number of times true. I fell off was probably about a third of my lives were lost to falling places where yeah. at least yeah. half yeah. of those times I was yeah. pretty sure I was fine until I wasn't. And then just inches from the final showdown, you're inside the enemy base and suddenly 
there are uh, this is like the the level of final fight with fiery flaws uh, but worse uh, this is the if you've got this far we really want you to put some more money in now please <laughs> so there's some there's some statues which are jabbing you with massive yeah. spears before even before you've got to those there's these walls with with massive uh, rock uh, I don't know what you call them, but like stone steps that kind of shoot out and, and bounce yeah. you back across the screen. It's like it's a knockout style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gladiators. <laughs> and and they'll that. juggle you back across the screen yeah, as well you if you get juggled. Careful. Yeah, and you can. There are ways with with the stones. There are ways you can you can inch forward, wait for them to animate, and then dash past. That's okay. The spikes. Again, I say I've been playing this game for thirty years. I can one credit it. I cannot guarantee that I will make it through those spikes without getting hit. It's mm-hmm. so hard to predict whether whether there's. I've never worked out if there's a pattern. The collision detection seems vague at best. I watched the the, the speedrun uh, video that you uh, you shared before. Yeah, and uh, the guy seems to have a good tactic of moving up and moving back, moving up and moving back uh, to get past the stone walls. I didn't see any rhyme or reason to his tactics with the spheres. I think it's uh, he just got uh, got lucky, or I, I suspect he just got lucky there. And this was uh, a good run of uh, previously uh, failed attempts. I would like to think he probably had more inkling on the timing for the spears, because the spears, for me, were my overriding <laughs> memory of playing this game in the arcade, because this is where I knew I would get to, and this is where the coins would start going into the machine as mm. they spiked you off into the pit again and again or knocked you back. And it was just so infuriating. Like, it would it would drive me mad, especially if you're playing it two players um, in, in co-op and one's getting knocked back, then the other one's getting knocked down, and it was just, like, rinse and repeat, and you'd look at your friend, you'd be like, do you want to continue this or, you know? It's the one time where it's actually a problem to be in co-op rather than a, a benefit. You almost want the yeah. other player to drop out of the game. One person gets past the spikes and then, you know, bring them back in. Yeah. But it's, yeah. And the, the NES versions, uh, that's where they really went to town on the envir- environmental hazards and platforming sections. They took that little element out of the, the Double Dragon coin-up and... Uh, yeah, basically added a lot more sections to, uh, of the sort to the uh, the NES ports or oh, NES versions, as you'd NES say. games weren't allowed to be easy, uh, no. seemingly. <laughs> so they needed more more spikes and conveyor belts <laughs> and. Uh, I thought, uh, if anything, it and, might be and, fairer uh, and, in the home and, version. Uh, you know, the thumping spikes that came down from the ceiling to uh, to get you quickly, and uh, and you had yeah. a credits limit. You had a continue limit or a life's limit, uh, depending on mm. what uh, on Double Dragon one, two, or three uh, what you're playing. One thing uh, about uh, the stage progression, one final thing I would like to uh, get into it is just how incredibly cool it is that there is no fade to black and starting in a new environment, but it's basically one complete environment that you're walking through from beginning to end. So you start out in the in the back alleys. And uh, then you move into the factory area, take the elevator down, walk through the forest with the spooky music mm-hmm. and uh, jump over the bridge. Then you're in this uh, mountain, uh, rocky uh, terrain. And from there on, you're in this uh, satanic uh, occult temple, uh, yes. which, uh, <laughs> in which your girlfriend is kept. So it's, it tells a lot of, uh, a lot of story with its, uh, with its environments. It must be possible to get a like a really cool wall freeze of the uh, of the entire. Uh, yes, now it probably will be a bit more of a whistle stop tour of the rest of the game. 
because time, but uh, but obviously we can talk about the changes that were made and, and uh, things that they did. But let's hear right now from lowest form of wit from the forum, who says, I actually remember seeing the cabinet for the first time in my local bowling alley in the late 80s. It was like nothing that I had ever seen before. The music is what first attracts you. They had it set to a high volume on purpose. A logo appears for altogether too long as the music builds. Double dragon, it says in all caps. Over an image of twin dragons and some Japanese writing, I always assumed also said double dragon. Uh, it does. It says Doboru Dragon. Then the build-up of the music intro finishes and out comes a flourish of melody, the main title track of the game, a pumping melody you cannot forget in 1987. The logo disappears and you see a gang of no-gooders punching a girl in the stomach and carrying her off. The garage door opens and out comes Billy and Jimmy to seek their revenge and they don't hold back. They come out fighting. The sounds of the punches crunch when they connect. There are flying kicks, usable weapons. You can kick the knife right out of the air. Needless to say, I was hooked. I still think very highly of Double Dragon and when I think about the game, I think of it as an arcade cabinet having never played console versions. I did pick up the Xbox Live Arcade release of the arcade conversion when it came out and I'm so glad I own that since it's no longer on sale. But I realise I look on Double Dragon with nostalgia-tinted spectacles. It didn't age well, the sprites flicker and the frame rate doesn't hold up, and it's quite a shallow and short experience, but it did have a lot of influence on the industry. Titles such as Streets of Rage, Final Fight, Golden Axe, Target Renegade, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and uh, with the four joysticks on it, as well as the Simpsons Arcade, or Ninja Gaiden, Shadow Warriors. There are dozens of examples from the brawler genre which was prevalent at this, uh, this time, I think partly due to the success of Double Dragon. It was a monster in its day. And what about that ending? I don't think it's ever been recreated in a coin-op experience. What a shocker. <laughs> so yes, it wasn't long because Double Dragon was a big hit. I don't have uh, earnings, but it was a massive, massive, massive hit. Uh, the sequel arrived not a lot of time later, 1988. Uh, pretty much the same team together, following very much the same template. Some technical enhancements, I think... Uh, I'm not sure about the color palette. It's changed. I don't know if there's more colors, but it certainly looks uh, mm. certainly looks colorful. Uh, the animation is notably more fluid. There's a real statement of intent. When the game first starts, the first two enemies that come on are regular guys, but they're cartwheeling. They kind of come cartwheeling on the screen. <laughs> it's like this is no longer your kind of slightly geriatric looking uh, tippy toe enemies. These guys are going to be moving and moving. Weirdly, it never really does the same thing again. It's just those two guys. Um, yeah. th they are much harder to elbow smash. Uh, enemies stop short of being elbow smashed quite a lot. You have to time everything well. Perhaps the most striking change, and I'll be honest, it's taken me until now to really get my head around it, uh, playing this again on the PS4, is that as James mentioned earlier, you have left and right attack. So the moves are mirrored depending on which way you're facing. Uh, so rather than just stabbing the same buttons over and over again, you have to uh, use your whole brain <laughs> or at least parts of it to remember which, which, uh, which way you're facing and which moves. And with the higher uh, variety of enemies and the slightly smarter enemies, it does uh, behoove you to learn the what particular enemies weaknesses are in terms of their AI and what moves work on which bad guys. The basics of this control scheme are straight out of Renegade, by the way. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a return to Renegade, isn't it? Which is, which is curious. Yeah. Um, I'd say overall it's, it's a more challenging game, partly for the reasons mentioned and, and partly I just think just generally everything's been stepped up a little bit. Is it just me or do they seem to try and swamp you with enemies a bit more in this I think, game? 
just because the the technology allowed it. Yeah, yeah. technically yeah. it allowed more enemies I, on I screen. I swear there were times I had four or five enemies kind of, yeah. and it just gets, frankly, I found it tedious kiting my way around the screen to get to the point where I could get one enemy mm. on their own enough to be able to attack them without, you know, taking a kick in the back of the head. The game uh, started uh, life as a revision of the first Devil Dragon with uh, yeah, better technology. Figures. You can tell the environment, uh, I think. Before it was actually, to- yeah, st- uh, actually named Double Dragon 2, the revenge. And uh, yeah, you can tell with the environments, with the enemy types and everything. Some of the areas almost, are the same. At first, yeah. I did, mm-hmm. uh, when I first laid eyes on it in an arcade, I thought it was kind of a, a reskinned looking game of the original. Yeah. And I've got to admit, I never really put much money or time into it back in the day. Uh, I think it was because I'd got so good and comfortable with the original that the fact that the controls had been altered because I hadn't played much Renegade at the arcade, so I wasn't familiar with that control style. I'd gotten very, very re- reliant, obviously, on the on the reverse elbow smash by this point. And so although I was expecting to really like it, and I think also by 88, perhaps some some of the other competitors that I, that I enjoyed as much or more from some of the other developers of the time had come out, I didn't give... Double Dragon too much attention. So it's been interesting to go back and play the hamster version on PS4 this week. And actually, the more I've played it, the more I've liked it. Uh, I'd say I've gotten into it more in the last few days than at any point over the previous 29 years. Now, that's not to say that I'm going to carry on you know, playing it and getting to the point where I can one credit it and speed run it like the original. I don't think I'll get to that stage, but I've been through it. I've been through it more than once. I've uh, uploaded high scores and done all the stuff that the the hamster version allows you to do. And uh, I have a somewhat of a newfound appreciation for it. And I guess in some ways I kind of wish it was if the original had been this, I would have perhaps found it a slightly more interesting, less easy to beat game, but then I wouldn't have formed the same relationship with it because I wouldn't have been able to uncredit it and all that sort of thing. So I read late eyes on the attract screen and uh, didn't play much of it myself. Uh, right. I did play the Amiga port, which uh, looks very similar. Decent, uh, decent port. Yeah. Before. yeah. Yeah. They played at, at a friend's house. I got the NES uh, port, which, uh, because we we got our original, uh, we originally got our NES with uh, about forty games. Uh, bought it uh, uh, off of um, a colleague of my mother's who wanted to sell his uh, NES with all their all his games in favor of uh, getting an uh, getting a Commodore Amiga. <laughs> and um, yeah. this was one of the first games we uh, bought on top of the pile we already had with our uh, with our pocket money, me and my brother, and. Uh, I was a lot more enthused about it than uh, the original, uh, uh, than the NES version of the original, because I mean I realized it was still not close to the arcade game, but it was a very acceptable home version of Double Dragon. For starters, yeah. it had the two-player mode. Uh, it also had uh, some pretty detailed pixel art uh, for for the time and uh, some uh, some good use of color. Uh, it was overall pretty pretty pleasing to look at and uh, very fun to play. I've, uh, I've put many hours into that version. So Double Dragon 2 is a strange one because I almost never saw a, a cabinet of it in the arcades. Um, maybe one or two. And given that I was coming to the arcades at a time after this game was released and I always saw a Double Dragon 1 cabinet, it seems kind of strange looking back on it that I didn't see more of the sequel. And I don't know whether that leans in somewhat towards its popularity or the desire for the arcades to have had it at that time, um, particularly when you had stuff like Golden Axe there as well. 
The first time I played it, I played it on the Amiga. Um, quite enjoyed it. It was okay. It was decent. It played a lot better than the first one did on the Amiga. Yeah. Um, so much so, but I was with the first one on the Amiga. It was never good, but I could always play it at the arcade. On the second one, I hadn't really, I didn't really have one around here in the arcades. So the Amiga version was the one that had to do. Um, it was it was an okay game. Uh, I never loved it. I never enjoyed it in the same way that I did the first. And that's not to say it's an inferior game or or what it, it artistically it never appealed to me in the same way. The slight sci-fi take that it had on it, I just it didn't feel right to me. So it had a very weird array of bosses, right? The uh, Bobo type characters in the game, the giant characters. They all <laughs> one looked like the Terminator and uh, the, the Mad Max burn-off character. It definitely tweaked the the visual identity that the first game had, mm. um, and for some people, I'm sure they loved it. For me, I it was it felt alien to the franchise, and I never quite had that affinity for it that I always thought that I would. I did later play it on emulation, the arcade emulation. It was better than the Amiga version, as you'd expect, but it still got no more love for that game than than I I remember having all those years before. So. Um, the second one for me is Double Dragon by name, but it was definitely the time that the franchise started going in a different direction. The, the controls were a little bit bizarre. It was strange having to turn away from an opponent and then attack back over to kick them. That seemed a bit confusing. Uh, other than that, I can see why people would love it, though. Uh, just for me, it was something that I didn't enjoy. For me, it's kind of a strange one. I certainly remember playing a little bit of the Game Boy version. Uh, but I can't really remember that much about it. So picking it up uh, this week after I played the the hamster version of, of the first game, I felt like I was, even with the changes in the controls, through playing the three uh, f- first three games, um, I felt like I was getting better at it, but I was doing worse, if that makes sense. I knew what the game was expecting of me, and I knew, okay, I need to kind of pull a U-turn in order to attack someone. Um in, in this game, but I felt like it was, it seemed arbitrary, and I'm sure if I put the time in, as you said, Leon, it would be a case of getting better at the game and understanding how it needs me to play and what it wants from yeah, me. I think so. I felt like I was getting there, but the game was just arbitrarily smacking me back down again. Um, and whilst I'm perfectly happy for that in modern games, that's not a problem to me if, if as long as I feel like there's a fairness there or it's trying to teach me something. In this case, there is that aspect of arcade games from this era that just feel like it is someone reaching out from the arcade game, putting their hand in your pocket and just taking all <laughs> the money. And that's not something I could get my head around. As you said, if I if I was to spend a week playing it, that would be that would be one thing, but or not a week. If I was spent a long time, you know, months playing it over and over again to get good at it, I think that only tells part of the story. Going back to to Renegade, the whole idea goes for the first Double Dragon as well. Is that enemies always try to surround you from both sides? So mm-hmm. it really becomes yeah. about managing uh, your your offense towards both directions. Another key difference for me is that the sound is just not as impactful uh, for some reason. Instead of most aspects of this game, you could argue were enhanced in some way, even if they're not subjectively to your taste. But on a on a technical side, the sound is is less thumpy. It's less crunchy. It's like it, it's more along the lines of other games, uh, and and that's a real shame, I think. 
One interesting thing about the uh, NES version also is that in addition to the moves like the, the cyclone kick that uh, mm. uh, was in the arcade version, you also have two additional moves that were not in the arcade version, uh, at least to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, after you land from a jump and you press punch in the NES version, you do a, a so-called hyper uppercut, which nice. uh, la- launches enemies upwards uh, instantly. So you need to do that from a crouching position after a jump. You can also do it uh, after getting up from a knockdown if you time it right. Mm. And the other one, which is the trickiest move in the game to perform, is uh, if you press forward and kick uh, from that same position uh, and you do a so-called violent knee attack uh, which is uh, in which uh, Billy or Jimmy jumps forward uh, with uh, his knee stretched out and you hear this really weird very un- unnerving and unnatural sound it's like a chwee, like a, it's like a <laughs> really weird shrill jingle uh, followed by a, the loudest uh, physical attack sound effect in the game, like a real bash, and your enemies mm-hmm. will shoot horizontally across the screen uh, when you land it. It's uh, incredibly satisfying to, to pull it off. Um, and it's also a very easy way to uh, quickly uh, defeat enemies because you, if there are ledges on either side, you just need them off the screen immediately. I like the sound of that. I always enjoy doing that. Yeah, it's really cool. And yeah. um, there, in the NES version, there are also a lot of exploits because we played it so much of uh, you know how you can safely uh, defeat enemies by standing on a ledge before them and then kicking them out of the air when they try to jump on the same uh, platform or level as you are. There's, there's a lot of stuff like in it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Tellingly, uh, Double Dragon 2 The Revenge is the only one of the NES games to appear on the now discontinued NES Mini Classic. And uh, Josh has, uh, Joshi Hatsumitsu says, uh, thanks to my NES Mini Classic in the year 2017, I got to play a very good emulation of Double Dragon 2 The Revenge with a very good reproduction of the original controller. And I have to say that, yeah, it's all right. I can imagine that if I it was... Uh, 1988 and I was eight to nine years old and this was one of the two games I would receive that year I would probably be more than happy playing it over and over again I also have to take into account that this is probably not the best version of Double Dragon available similar to my other 8-bit experiences growing up playing the Master System version it's a bit of a compromise so 1990 and the uh, scrolling brawler uh, craze is perhaps peaking and uh, Technos greet this by farming out their next Double Dragon game to a company called East Technology. And uh, the game Double Dragon 3, the Rosetta Stone, gets released in North America two months ahead of its Japanese release, curiously enough. The Technos Japan team were uh, working on WWF Superstars and the Comba Tribes. East Technology had previously worked on a shoot-em-up called Gigandes. I'm not sure on the pronunciation of that ended up making this game controversial in a number of ways, but mostly because uh, one of the first things you can do in the game, in the Japanese, uh, sorry, in the American version, is you can walk into a shop and add additional coins, real coin money, not in-game currency, to get yourself extra lives, extra power, extra men, uh, extra life, and so on and so forth. Uh, This was greeted with such negativity that it was ripped out of the Japanese localization um, before that game was released. Uh, So I'd only ever played a demo of this on the Amiga. I was quite excited when I heard this was coming to the Amiga because there weren't a lot of great brawlers on that console. And 
it was being handled by a team called uh, Storm, the Sales Curve. Uh, they had previously made a, a cool computer game, a computer only sequel to Silkworm called Swiv, which was a wonderful shoot 'em up for the Amiga. Fabulous. And I was thinking, well, this is going to be great. And it seems like they did an okay job with the port. I remember playing the demo. It's actually probably a bit higher res um, than than the coin op in some ways but uh it didn't feel that great to play it didn't it didn't review that well so my first ever playthrough of, of rosetta stone all the way through was yesterday uh on mame emulation there's no way to buy it i don't think uh and uh, uh obviously this is a bit of a hot take by canarin standards but i did play it from start to finish uh i did not like it very much uh it was the, the animation is incredibly stilted and jerky. It's got a completely different atmosphere uh, to, to the other games. It's got a bizarre story, which isn't enough to put me off. Basically, a fortune teller turns up and says to Jimmy and Billy, go and find the Rosetta Stones. And so they do. That is the story. Uh, not quite the gut punch or uh, shooting of the of the previous two games. Technology is obviously completely different. All the moves are different. or well, not all the moves, but everything about it the look and feel it doesn't feel like a double dragon game it feels like a uh, a third party farmed out knockoff sequel um and no i was not a fan anybody got anything nice to say yeah. uh we'll come on to the the nes like you leon i played it on the amiga um again only the demo and it seems strange because it was double dragon by name only at this point it did feel like a strange knockoff, which was something that I wasn't alien to playing on the Amiga. You know, it's yeah. something we regularly got. Mm. Yet it felt really bizarre with Double Dragon 3. There was nothing about that game clicked with me. I didn't like the way it looked, the colour palette. The story was inconsequential to me generally in these kinds of games anyway, but it seemed weird that I'd gone from fighting for the purpose of me, uh, my city or girlfriend or my brother's girlfriend, whatever, and then trying to avenge her to suddenly I'll just globetrot around the world to these bizarre locations like Egypt and Japan. And I, it was not to my tastes at all. <laughs> it kind of killed the Double Dragon franchise for me at this point. Yeah. It put me off that much. I think it sort of killed mm. it for itself. And there, there are some more entries that we're going to cover in brief, but I didn't know until doing research for this that it had been farmed out to a third party while mm. the other team did something else. But now I do know it makes absolutely Makes sense when you look sense. at it, doesn't it? Yeah, completely. Yeah. I remember seeing uh, screenshots of the game in, uh, in magazines. Uh, and thinking it looked wow, it looks pretty good actually. Mm. Uh, you know, in in stills, uh, mm -hmm. so the, the the characters look a bit uh, more semi-realistic, and yeah. uh, uh, it also looked interesting to me that there was a, a three-player simultaneous co-op uh, yeah, right. feature. But then I actually laid eyes on it in an actual arcade, and I was immediately appalled with just how. <laughs> uh, Awful the uh, and choppy the animation looked. It, it looked like like it was just cut and pasted together. It's probably quite telling that I loathed Double Dragon Three without knowing that it was a different team. For me, it was the same people making it. Um, but WWF Superstars was a game I loved and is an all-time classic arcade game for me. And that's what the team went on to go and make instead. Yeah, there you go. Uh, James, have you sampled this delight? Maybe you did find it a delight <laughs> because you're a contrary so and so. No, this was a, this was 
what Billy and Jimmy's excellent adventure. It felt like the story. It was just bizarre. Uh, clearly had nothing to do with the rest aside from the two main characters being in it. And I think uh, Marion pops up at some point in, in memory or something. But um, I think the, the telling thing for me was, I mean, I, I used 52 credits on this thing because it just felt like the game didn't... Like, with two, it felt harder to me. But as I said, it felt like if I dedicated the time... I could get good at the game, even if I didn't necessarily like that difficulty just meant more enemies as often as it meant a variety of enemies. Um, But with this, I didn't want to bother getting good to the point where I just started cheesing everyone by knocking them down and then doing the jumping knee attack. Um, That's actually quite fun, though. There's there's nothing wrong with just using one attack. No, but (laughs) but to the point of, I'm just going to do this every single time. I don't care anymore. Yeah. I, unless an enemy actively stops me using this and that's not a way like okay in if if it's your money that is at stake when you're playing an arcade machine sure you cheese the enemy if it's a dark souls boss you can't be otherwise sure cheese them fine but that shouldn't be the goal of the game just to cheese every enemy to get through it because that's clearly that's not the only way fun. to defeat the game to cheese it yeah yeah, and, 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 like and it was literally like a- do that until I got to the mummy. Okay, work out how to do a jumping kick and not get grabbed, and then you you face the final boss, and it was just like okay, the that doesn't work anymore. Can't do a jumping kick, and then and then the knee drop. Um, right, I'll just do the the headbutt. It'd be interesting to look at the credits of this game and sort of research whether any one of these guys went on to make a fantastic career at from software or capcom or somewhere <laughs> like that uh because w- without going down that rabbit hole we don't know but um of note is the fact that uh some double dragon fans and nintendo fans um consider double dragon 3 the sacred stones the nes version to be the true double dragon because it was made by the team that had made the previous double dragon games and uh so you've already mentioned it. Notoriously difficult, I believe, this one. Mm. Yeah, I actually uh, never bothered back in the days with Double uh, Dragon 3. Uh, but uh, because uh, I know it was going to be on this podcast, I actually sought out uh, the uh, NES cards for it. I quite liked uh, the game, I must say. It's, uh, it's one of those late-era NES games, uh, which uh, has uh, all uh, is firing yeah. on all, all cylinders as far as graphics go for, uh, for an 8-bit uh, that 8-bit system, I must say. So a lot of color, a lot of detail. They actually figured out how to have two different variations of enemy sprites on screen, so you're not finding clones uh, all the time, unlike in Double Dragon 2, even right. though there is there is noticeably more uh, more flicker, so it's not an ideal uh, situation. And that's also interesting when you look at the three uh, NES Double Dragon games, all three made by Technos, is that you definitely see... All, through all three of them, a better understanding of the hardware and uh, how to to include certain features that previous uh, installments were were missing. I don't know how well it compares to the arcade arcade game, but there's this wicked guillotine uh, throw where you uh, kind of similar in the uh, to in the in the arcade uh, Ninja Gaiden where you jump towards the enemy if you t- time it right, you grab them by the neck, you flip them over, and you fling them a ridiculous uh, uh, distance across the screen. The cyclone kick is back, and only the timing is different. You need to uh, 
uh, initiate it uh, or hit the the attack button before you reach the top height of your jump to to activate it. So that, yeah. that takes some adjustment. Violent knee attack and the hyper uppercut are sadly missing, uh, and the uh, hair grabbing, kneeing, and punching attacks are a little bit nerfed. But mm. it uh, takes the old approach of just a, a punch and a kick button uh, again, and there's uh, several punch and kick uh, combos. And there's some uh, really cool attacks where you can actually leap off walls and uh, jump kick in a straight line. Or when you're playing in two-player mode, uh, get uh, jump towards your partner who can give you a little boost and jump off of him uh, or her if it's a girl playing. Uh, and uh, get a horizontal flying kick across the screen. So there's a, there's a lot that goes in uh, into that game. So you basically start up with one life, no continues. So you're forced from the beginning to one life. <laughs> Not quite one credit, but one life, the, uh, uh, a large part of the game. So the first two stages are incredibly difficult to get through because uh, enemies are super aggressive. You lose uh, energy fast. Uh, so you basically don't want to get hit and really abuse the hurricane kick to uh, knock enemies uh, off of you that approach you from two sides. And you really need to start getting aware of their AI behavior when they're going to suddenly jump kick at you. You know, you, you can tell because they'll take a few steps back and you, you can tell, look, oh, I need to go up and down or down the screen now to get out of their way. At the end of stage two, you, uh, you fight a boss uh, called Shin. And if you defeat him, he will uh, join your team. So at that point, you have two lives. You have Chin's life and Billy's uh, life. Yeah. And if you play with two people, you have three, three lives among the, the three characters. So if, if you notice your, one of your characters go, goes low on health, you can switch to the other character and then complete the stage with that character because at the end of the, uh, the stage, all health mercifully gets refilled. Right. Uh, then there's another character, a ninja character you can uh, add to your team later on the game that will give you four lives uh, if you're playing with two players. And then uh, I think halfway through the game you actually get a single credit for continuing. So it gets easier uh, the further you get uh, in the game. And I was think I was looking up this must be a gimped uh, Western release of this game. This this can't be right. You know that they release the game as it is uh, in this state everywhere in the world. But apparently the Japanese version is exactly the same, even though they didn't have game rentals over there. Uh, only the the only thing is that you don't have to defeat as many enemies per stage as you do in the Western version. Uh, your enemy doesn't get sapped away so so quickly. But other than that, it's exactly the same. I guess this is uh, why it wasn't included on the. Uh the next yeah. mini. It's a brutal game, but I actually uh, started to enjoy myself uh, trying to, to get further and further and with gritted teeth and uh, mm-hmm. taking taking up the challenge to, to see it through. I haven't yet, but I plan on doing so. So I I watched a playthrough of it and the opening is completely different. So 1992, as well as uh, an apparently abysmal port of an already uh, game that was not well thought of. The Rosetta Stone became Double Dragon 3, the arcade game on the Mega Drive. Uh, Avoid, uh, I believe, is is the advice there. Uh, over on the Super Nintendo, we got Super Double Dragon. 1992, yeah. So we this was the same kind of era. We'd had Streets of Rage 1. We were getting Streets of Rage 2. Um, this is a different uh, director, Muneki Ebinuma, 
um, who apparently expressed some regret that uh, they hadn't been able to squeeze in all the story beats and, and the character of Marion in. Uh, really, uh, I, I played up to mission seven of this this afternoon using the stock five continues that you get. Um, and I thought it was OK. Uh, like, I'm not going to start recommending it over Streets of Rage 2 Definitely as a 16-bit no. uh, classic uh, brawler. It's a little bit slow, a little bit stodgy for my tastes. Yeah, there's a really good game somewhere hidden in there. You know, mm. you can t- you can tell that they, it was kind of rushed to to market. It's close. Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely close. I mean, this is a game that I played in co-op with a friend. I went to his house one time, and he just happened to have it, and so we put it on and played a little bit of it in co-op. Never enough to complete through the game, but it felt it felt good. But it was heavily influenced by Final Fight um, in the interface, and the. It certainly felt that it had stepped away from what I remember Double Dragon being uh, under the influence of Final Fight, which is no bad thing, but it never came close to being as good as Final Fight either. And if I was going to recommend one, it wouldn't be Super Double Dragon. Once again, Technos was doing really interesting things with move lists uh, in this game. Uh, So what I really found fun to use was the, the hold move where you get catch an enemy's arm uh yeah and that was very cool proceed to kick them in the face uh and that, some that cool kind of moves stuff. definitely yeah i enjoyed yeah. i enjoyed some of that stuff even post streets of rage 2 which has the team up moves and stuff this this uh this had some neat sort of action movie moments during my seven mission playthrough yeah. where i was like oh no neat i did a cool thing and the fact that yeah. you can take somebody out by punching a, a, a punch bag at them and, and stuff like that yeah, it has the lamest looking flying kick uh, in all of beat em up history where the mm. char- character spre- spreads his arms out in cheer. It's very effective in terms of knocking them down, but it takes virtually no health off them. If you go the Golden Axe route of running from side to side and knocking enemies down one after the other, it will take you an age to complete certain yeah. screens. And it looks really stupid. Uh, the only other thing of note that I thought was that after really, really not liking the music in the first couple of areas, it felt it seemed very, uh, very snessy in a, but not in a good way. And the sound effects are, are quite muffled and, and underwhelming. Um, there's a couple of remixes of the class- classic tunes that kick in a few missions in that I did really enjoy. For me, the game was a Christmas present that I never really asked for, uh, but I enjoyed <laughs> it none- nonetheless. Uh, and uh, it was really popular amongst a couple of my friends who played the game uh, at our household way more than I did. So I was just sitting to the side doing something else while they were playing through the game over and over again. My take on it was I was sick of 3, put this in and thought, you know what, yeah, the the combat's very repetitive. Um, flying kick I didn't even bother with. You just, because you've got such a large window to, to attack an enemy without someone getting up behind you and attacking you... You can just do a three punch combo on one enemy, then turn to the other three punch combo. Them. Some of them block time, though. This game also has a block button for both you and the enemy, it does have a block, enemy. and that allows you to grab, and you can then kick them and then toss them afterwards. Fun. Um, so there's actually, as Mikhail said, a lot of uh, kind of com- different moves and combos going on in there, um, and given that we've all kind of to some degree said that we wouldn't necessarily recommend the first game to people, etc. This is actually up to this point, the one I would recommend people play. Um, if, if the old style original double dragon and, and perhaps two are going to be 
difficult for people to stomach these days. This one, I think, is a far friendlier take on it. And I really like some of the in, the level design in it, where you're in a lift and you're, there's a lot more verticality to the levels, or you're coming down the stairs and then going up the other side. Um, and the the uh, mission where you're atop a truck as well, and you're if you stand still, you're sliding back on the truck. Yeah. That, that stuff's great. I, I think there's a lot in this that is actually really fantastic. It is a shame that the combat isn't the thing that stands out, but right. um, otherwise, I, I think there is, as Carl said, a great game in here. I think it did get a virtual console release. Uh, I think so, at yeah. Least. Yeah, so it, it, uh, it's, Wii it's, and Wii U possibly. It's available to yeah. play in ways. Yeah, uh, curious anyway. There was a 1993 Battletoads and Double Dragon crossover by Rare. Uh, and that also crossed over the generations with NES, Super Nintendo and Game Boy versions. If we ever do more Rare, if we ever cover Battletoads, we'll talk more about that one then. And then what happened? Well, the one-on-one versus fighter had really overtaken the brawler as the number one style of fighting game and that's where we are today obviously they've been we had rock stars the warriors and we've had god hand but uh, generally one-on-one fighters are the way forward and uh, leland interactive media along with trade west and williams brought us uh, to the uh, super nintendo mega drive and jaguar double dragon 5 the shadow falls in 94 95 uh, i had no interest in ever playing this. I was not a, uh, I was into versus fighters, but by this point I was playing things like street fighter alpha or whatever. So by, by this point you were drowning in good ones. So yeah. And I just, it seemed a bit sad and I, and this was the point where I thought I severely doubt this had anything to do with the original double dragon. And then they did it again. Uh, <laughs> Technos for SNK. Uh, you mentioned it briefly earlier. Neo Geo and uh, a PS1 version, 1995, a game simply mm. called Double Dragon. And Joshi Hatsumitsu says the 1995 Neo Geo release, which switches the progressive beat em up formula for a one on one fighter, is not too bad. And it's got some pretty nice sprite work and animations. It's a fun distraction, though the mid 90s were drowning in one on one fighters. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I mentioned earlier they do quite a nice way of representing the different types of enemy that you've fought in previous games yeah. as separate characters here. Um, and they also blend in some FMV stuff from the Robert Ooh. Patrick film. Of course. It just looks bizarre. It's flashing up on the screen <laughs> in one of the stages, uh, but it's also in the intro to the game. Little play on it, little watch of someone else playing far more competently than I. It didn't do anything particularly um there was an interesting thing where your charge meter for your super or equivalent of super is actually your health bar so the the less health you have the quicker you can build charge because it's only the the bit of whatever health you have remaining is however much you can charge up so that's kind of a neat mechanic but Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, so uh, Yoshihis uh, Kishimoto uh, pretty much disowned the film, uh, saying it's not really a Double Dragon film. Uh, like most video game movies, I would argue. <laughs> Certainly uh, at that time. Yeah. yeah. And as Carl mentioned, there was also a, a brief, uh, well, yeah, ran for a little while, a Deke uh, Saturday morning uh, cartoon, which you can check out mm-hmm. the intro sequence to on YouTube. It's incredibly cheesy, naff, uh, fair, and therefore a lot of you will absolutely love it. Yeah, I thought it was great as exactly. a kid. Exactly, of course. And it also it also did take on, I mean, spoiler for anyone who wants to go back to this old classic cartoon, it does actually take on the brother turning on brother um, story arc, Ooh, which... Spoilers alert. 
was quite dark and blew my mind as a kid because I'd always just assumed that the end of Double Dragon was because they didn't know how to have Marion go up to both of you. <laughs> <laughs> so to actually take that on in the uh, cartoon was quite a shock. And I, I felt betrayed. That's, inter- <laughs> That's interesting because uh, in the uh, NES version, uh, Billy uh, or Jimmy was actually the uh, uh, final uh, final boss uh, because mm. they wanted to shoehorn the, the double out of Double Dragon uh, in there in some form or fashion. Yeah, so uh, Technos sadly uh, went bust in 1996 and so the Double Dragon IP uh, floated off. Um, a company called Evoga Entertainment, uh, along with Noise Factory, tried and failed to secure the license. Uh, instead, it was bought by Million Inc. But interestingly, what came out of this was that... Uh, <laughs> The project Rage of the Dragons uh, carried on regardless, despite the fact they didn't get the license. And it features characters called Billy and Jimmy Lewis and another character called Abubo. It sounds curious and interesting, but it is not. I know of the game. That's about it. Uh, Other than a mobile Java port of this game, this is the last one we're going to talk about. And uh, we're in the fortunate situation of knowing somebody who works on it, Tom Hewlett. Uh, posted in at my request. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for the interview as well recently. Check that out, podcast listeners. Uh, 2003, Double Dragon Advance. So Million got the license and Atlas handled this conversion. And Tom says, Double Dragon was one of those series with a million ports that did their own thing, making it impossible to track down an authentic version of the original arcade experience. Having fond memories of playing the arcade cabinet, I jumped at any port I could, but all fell short. Why was it so hard to find a Double Dragon to call my own? I even briefly tested Virgin Games' ill-fated Game Gear version, which is notable for letting Billy Lee wield a handgun. Imagine my joy when I was handed my latest QA assignment at Atlas, Double Dragon Advance, only to be welcomed by the familiar opening stage with all the right character proportions, though Billy had dyed his hair the canonical brown instead of blonde. Wonderful. While this is far from an arcade emulation itself, it excels at being a sort of greatest hits version of the entire series, incorporating a ton of enemies and concepts from Double Dragon 2, a game I'd spent quite a bit of time with on the NES. Key arcade levels like the forest or caves appear in expanded form with delightful surprises along with brand new stages like the Matrix-inspired brawl against Agent Smith-alikes atop a moving truck. This might be the ultimate expression of classic Double Dragon and I was fortunate enough to get paid an hourly wage to play it for a month or two. Seems a fitting reward for my vain search in the preceding years. Double Dragon Advance was also the source of the strangest assignment I ever received. Take a screenshot of every abobo in the game and count them. I believe there were 32 in all, don't quote me, but I never did find out why I was asked to do this or what purpose it served. Hmm. Whatever the reason, I'll always have fond memories of linking two GameCube GBA players together to test multiplayer LAN party style on two large screens. For me, this is the ultimate way to experience Double Dragon. There you go, from the horse's mouth. Yeah, sounds uh, like a recommendation. Absolutely. Yeah, having said up until the point of Super Double Dragon, that would be the one that I recommend. The reason I said up until that point is because this is the one. (laughs) Um, It really is. Uh, I I only spent a a few minutes with it today and then watched uh, some video of later in the game just to check it didn't fall off a cliff or anything. Uh, But the the animations, the way it looks, really cool. Um, So instead of just repeating the same kick three times or or very slight variations, it's actually a three-kick combo. And then the the characters have a kind of uh, martial arts stance, kung fu stance, uh, when they finish, when they knock an enemy to the ground. Um, It's just really 
lovely is the only kind of way I can put it. Um, it, it just seems like, yeah, it's got a lot of attention to detail and Game Boy Advance is not short of great games, but this would be where I'd want to play Double Dragon if I, I couldn't go back to the, the Game Boy version and or wanted something slightly more representative of the arcade version again. I'd never paid it any attention. And for that, I apologise to Tom and Atlas. Sounds very cool. Don't think that one has come to Wii U Virtual Console, though, as some GBA titles have. On the subject of uh, how to play it today, Joshi Hatsumitsu from the forum says, I was hoping to acquire and play the arcade version of Double Dragon in time for the podcast, and half of that worked out. He includes some photographs of circuits. Technos Japan, made in Japan. I bought the Japanese version, and when I hooked it up to my cabinet, there was a lack of sound. I have discovered that, if you do a simple Google search, that there are many forums and message boards about this particular game, especially sound issues. It's a PCB that's notorious for various technical problems. And yet, despite trying various different things within my limited skill level, I still could not get this board to work properly. There are very faint sound effects, but no music. Plus, there are a few minor graphical problems too. On the upside, the controls are fine, the headbutt move works just as it should, and it's a pretty powerful move. I'll have to learn a lot more about PCB repairs, and I'm not giving up on it yet. It does technically work, just not the way it should. The moral of the story? Of all the boards I own, and I own more than I probably should, this is the only one to give me problems. So, to the 1% of people out there who would love to acquire their own Double Dragon board, prepare yourself to learn some new skills. It's inevitable that older obsolete tech will give you a few gremlins, and if you're prepared to get your hands dirty, then go for it. Thank you, uh, Joshi, for your regular posts on your arcade cabinet collection, which make me green with envy every time. Yes, there was a comic book series as well, uh, and uh, both in America and Japan. And uh, yeah, we've kind of already covered off uh, the cartoon in the movie. Sean S. Thomas from the forum says, I have a lot of affection for Double Dragon. I've only ever played it on the humble Master System, but I recall it being a pretty decent port, which I now know wasn't always the case with games for the Sega base entry console. Most of my friends would spend classes at school telling me how amazing Final Fight and Streets of Rage were on their 16-bit machines, but at the time, I now realised my family was struggling for money greatly. I never clocked this back then, but new Master System games were always presents from grandparents or birthday gifts, so a new game was a real event for me. Master System did a lot of things really well, and it has a wealth of great platformers, but Capcom's brawlers bypassed it, and even Streets of Rage failed to appear on the system until it was almost extinct and as a one-player experience. So Double Dragon represented my only chance of doing flying kicks to people's heads and having a sense of what the cool kids at school were raving about. And they were very satisfying flying kicks, flying kicks I would enjoy doing over and over and over. It was also one of the first games to make me love local multiplayer. Battle on Atari 2600 was the only game before this that I loved playing with a friend, and this was how I spent the majority of my hours with Double Dragon. I'd never rate Double Dragon as a personal favourite game, but it was one I enjoyed my time with greatly. And finally, we'll hear from Joshi Hatsumitsu again. Being much older now, it holds a certain nostalgic and historical value. For the influence of Double Dragon on the gaming scene in retrospect is quite obvious. And important, and I greatly appreciate it. But I'm also not clamouring to play it as often as possible either. When there is easy access to games like Final Fight and the Streets of Rage series, Double Dragon, at least the original, feels a bit stiff and a bit antiquated, and those other titles scratch that itch much better. So I guess the best thing that Double Dragon ended up being was an inspiration for other games like Golden Axe, Final Fight, and so on. And that influence is not a bad legacy to have. 
So in brief three-word reviews from Twitter at Kanan Rince. Jared Newman says, Mission 4 sucks. Sebola said, elbows the way. Retro Redress simply says, classic 80s brawler. Fidgety Acolyte. And Chinabobo, baby. <laughs> nice foreshadowing for the beautiful Joe episode. Good work. Right, uh, gentlemen, please, the briefest of brief summaries. Sum up your feelings on Double Dragon and what, if any way, would you recommend that people play it today? Or them? Double Dragon's, my emotions with it are all tied up in nostalgia for the Game Boy as a console, and that's possibly not fair on the original game. Um, but coming to it today, I certainly have this feeling of... If you're not playing it in the arcade and therefore have a, a a need to get good at the game in order to see it through, it's tough to say whether the incentive's there to kind of keep tapping a button to put credits in. But I did enjoy seeing the first game on PS4 and it's there readily available. Um, I do kind of wish the Game Boy Advance version, Double Dragon Advance, was available more readily because that would be the one I recommend. But um, it's just nice to revisit uh games from this era when we don't see that many of them necessarily anymore and yeah nostalgia for double dragon is is more than enough for me i think cool carl it's hard to recommend double dragon because i think so many progressive brawlers have, have bettered it um and and the formula but i think as a history lesson um and for anyone interested in the history of games and their origins double dragon is, is so key in where that franchise uh, where this genre came from uh, as a key turning point particularly to the arcades in the west um so i would recommend playing it probably through emulation on mem um if that if that's the way you want to go because that's going to give you the tr- the sort of the traditional vibes of the game um rather than the the all too polished non slowdown versions that we mentioned earlier uh, in the in the episode, so I would recommend playing the the first one, maybe the second one, uh, and leaving it at that, and preferably both arcade emulation. Uh, you can play the per- perfectly emulated versions of one and two on PS4 as well via Hamster, um, but obviously they cost actual a few pounds, um, mm. and that's what I'd recommend anyone do if they are curious. However. Um, there are a lot of elements of design and uh, and technical considerations about Double Dragon that would mean that I wouldn't naturally recommend it today. Um, clearly, the way I've spoken about the game, I have a lot of nostalgia and affection for it. Uh, but if I was sending people towards a classic era brawler, it would still be Streets of Rage 2, that vintage collection that's on the Xbox 360 and is also backwards compatible on Xbox One. One thing I would say that Double Dragon has compared to a lot of high profile games today is an awful lot of character and personality and uh, and that's something that I think it should be celebrated for and, and the reason that it is uh, so well remembered at least the first game in the series before yeah. arguably it lost its way and let's wrap up with Mikiel It's almost a bit sad to me that when people speak about the original Double Dragon you often hear them refer to the NES version which I uh, found a very disappointing version yeah. of the game that I loved so much in the uh, in the original arcade and it's telling that you have a milestone game on your hands when it makes games that follow it uh, afterwards uh, feel antiquated and I specifically uh, mean uh, single player uh, beat em ups like uh, Vigilante or Dragon Ninja Bad Dudes versus, versus Dragon Ninja or uh, two crude dudes, uh, Splatterhouse even, they all feel 
very underwhelming after having tasted that free movement uh, that uh, Double Dragon uh, provides. Uh, of course, it didn't take very long for for uh, other games in the genre to uh, to iterate on it and um, better it in a number of ways. But there's still something very gritty and uh, attractive to me about the original Double Dragon. I would, like the rest of you, have a hard time recommending it as a shining example of the genre to uh, to anyone today. But uh, for uh, to play it for historical uh, uh, reasons and to get a historical perspective, I would find uh, perfectly adequate. Um, it's a milestone game. It's super important. And for that, it uh, deserves tons of respect. Thank you. And yes, as we've said, we're going to be revisiting the Double Dragon series. Three different approaches to bringing the game back or bringing it up to date uh, in issue 285. But for now, it remains for me, Leon, to thank James Carr and Michiel, as well as our correspondents, Editor Ryan, and all of you for listening. And remember, if you've enjoyed this and our other podcasts, please consider heading to Patreon, patreon.com slash and donating that minimum of a dollar a month. And if enough of you do this, we can make Double Dragon the amount of Kane and Rinse shows in the future. Sorry. Uh, anyway, next time in issue 272, a relatively rare foray into the time-consuming world of the JRPG with Namco's Tales of Vesperia. <laughs> <laughs>